Hi, welcome to today's Wound Clinic podcast. I'm Brian McCurdy, the managing editor of TWC. And with me today are Morgan McCoy and Dr. Caroline Fife. They are going to be talking about Morgan's experience with an amputation as part of our series on the patient experience. So welcome. Would you like to tell me a little bit about your story? Yeah, for sure. So in October of 2018, I was diagnosed with sudden onset ulcerative colitis. Um, I was still in college at the time. So doing a lot of work to manage those symptoms and try to get that under control. And throughout that process, trying different medications um, and seeing what worked and what didn't work um, while still also being a full-time college student. And then things kind of took a turn in 2019. I got really, really sick from my ulcerative colitis symptoms. I lost about 30 pounds in the span of a week. And at that point, my parents decided it would be beneficial to pull me out of school and bring me back to Houston to see my GI here in Houston. And during that process, um, I ended up with a blood clot in my left leg and all the way across my abdomen, ending me up in the ICU. And while in the ICU, my colon perforated and dumped necrotizing fasciitis into my right leg. Um, so ultimately, to save my life, I lost both my colon and my right leg that day. And then I was in the hospital for about two months recovering from all of those things, um, the GI stuff, as well as an amputation. With the necrotizing fasciitis, I suffered a lot of wounds and things that I'm still working through today. But yeah, that's a little bit of an overview of, of the crazy saga. <laughs> but Hey, yeah. Brian, this is Caroline Fife, And I think Morgan... I just want to emphasize a couple of things. I'm sorry to butt in, but this is what people forget sometimes is that all wounds are a symptom of people's other diseases. So if those other diseases are invariably, they're not under control, that's how people end up with problems, whether they're amputations or other kinds of wounds, and then they're malnourished. So she's got an inflammatory problem, tremendous weight loss, a horrific infection, and we've also previously talked about the fact that her surgeon made this courageous choice against a lot of criticism. He had been told that she should have a hip disarticulation and he has, I don't know, four or five daughters. I've forgotten how many that are about <laughs> the same age as Morgan. And he said, no, I think we can give her a chance at an above the knee amputation, which would make her so much more functional. And Morgan dances on an AK amputation. I just have to throw in there. She's just amazing. But the point is that he did an amputation knowing that there was going to be extensive tissue necrosis, but believing there was enough muscle to pull it off. So, you know, it was a partnership from the very beginning, knowing these were going to be really tough wounds. And I'll also throw in there that she has the spot she's continuing to struggle with is a pyoderma gangrenosum that is from her underlying inflammatory bowel disease. So, you know, sometimes we, uh, she sailed in a way through the amputation <laughs> and now <laughs> we've got this other thing that's also related to our underlying disease. What do you think doctors should know about how to provide the best healthcare experience? Yeah, that's a good question. I think before all of this happened to me, I was just a normal 21-year-old, very healthy, had just one primary care physician that managed everything for me, and there wasn't really much to manage. And now on the other side, I'm looking at 
12 specialists with a primary physician that runs point kind of, and is the team captain of my team. And so I think all of those physicians individually are treating one thing, but they all kind of have to work as a team to figure out what's going to be the best for me as a whole. And I think they've done a really amazing job of calling each other up and communicating like, Hey, I want to try this treatment. How is it going to affect her bowel? Or I want to try this treatment. How is it going to affect the wound? And um, I think that is a really key element to how my treatment has been going and how successful we've been because they've all just been very good at communicating with each other and running ideas past each other. Because in the grand scheme of things, like each physician has one specialty, but they're really treating me as a whole. And I am like a whole human being. So treating one thing and ignoring another just makes things worse. So having a a team and I lovingly call them my team, (laughs) all working together is really critical for, for where I'm going to end up being able to go. Boy, that's a powerful observation. Have you ever fired a doctor because they wouldn't play team ball? Yeah. So, um, throughout my journey, there was a lot of people who we had to part ways with. They either just weren't willing to communicate with the other physicians. They weren't really validating our questions and our concerns and our big picture view. Um, and so having people that weren't really willing to work with the team kind of led them to be off the team. And I was very particular through my whole journey about who I wanted on my team and people not even who are just subject matter experts, but people who I genuinely felt like I could trust and who I genuinely felt like cared for me as a person and not just like a case study. Um, And so that was a big element of removing people from that team is if they couldn't play by our rules, like we'll find someone who can. Brian, that seems like a truly powerful observation. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Morgan is, was, you know, we've known each other for a few years, but, you know, we're talking about a 21 year old who's got the courage to say, you know, doc, you can't be on my team if you can't play on the team. That is a powerful statement about the importance of physicians understanding. And I think the average patient with a wound has five clinicians. The last time we looked, the average patient had five docs involved in the care. Mm. So while Morgan may have a little bit more than the norm, it's not unusual and it's really hard to find a way to keep all those team members coordinated (laughs) and it ends up being left up to the patient, which is tough. Yeah, I can imagine. And so to that point, what do you want patients to know about how they can get the best healthcare experience? Yeah, I think from the patient perspective, it's important to realize that like, it's your care, it's your life. Like yeah, maybe a physician didn't work well with my team, but they definitely could work for someone else's team. And like my team lineup is not going to be the same as someone else. Like what I'm trying to get out of my physician's lineup is going to be different than someone else's. And that's like 100% okay. And so just kind of like being aware of what you want from that experience and being willing to advocate for yourself. And of course, there's times I wasn't able to advocate for myself, but I had a really great support system. My parents are absolutely amazing and they were able to advocate for me based on what I, what my goals were. And so just, you know, creating your goals and then building your team that aligns with that is super critical. And at the end of the day, a hospital and healthcare system is a business and you're the customer. So you can fire someone and that's perfectly allowed and okay. You're not stuck with 
whatever physician you get assigned. So just knowing that you have that kind of power, whether you choose to use it or not is up to the patient, of course, but just being aware that that is available, I think is super critical. I don't think that's something that I realized before being a medically complex human. I'm just thinking about how that's going to serve you in the rest of your life. You're very empowered um, and you didn't choose to be a victim of the things that happened to you. Uh, I think yeah. that's also a powerful message for everybody, whether it has to do with healthcare or not. Yeah, for sure. It definitely um, allows me to have a little bit more control over my journey and my story and having the power to make some of those decisions, I think is what's kind of propelled me to where I am now. The other thing we did, Brian, that I think is important to bring up is that we broke rules carefully and on purpose. And uh, just as one example, Morgan's stump hadn't fully healed when we decided it was okay for her to get a prosthetic. That's one of those rules in quotation marks, but the area that we were struggling with was where several pieces of skin had to be brought together awkwardly because the surgeon was running out of skin and it wasn't weight bearing. And so she had this amazing orthotist and we said, you know what? I just don't think we ought to keep this girl in a wheelchair when she could be rehabbing and it worked out fine. Yeah. So, and it's funny that you mentioned that um, my prosthetist, John Holmes, he is really creative and he's been doing this for a long time. And I'm kind of the first person that came in with a wound that he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and now since that experience, he's been able to have a lot more conversations with other medical teams of patients who do have wounds and been able to get them up and walking, which has promoted their healing a lot. So it's interesting to now kind of being further down the line and seeing how he's using that to help other patients that are kind of in similar um, scenarios is really, it's really great because, you know, there's always room for change. So yeah, one of the struggles we had this little spot where she has PG for a while, we wondered if it was her prosthetic that was rubbing. And, you know, cause I couldn't quite decide, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a semi flare. And so John was able to say, nope, Nope, it's not absolutely not because there's friction. Gotta be something else. And that's when we finally said, okay, that's it. It's it's pyderma. Let's let's treat that. So it's just an example of how you you can't just get stuck in some line of thought. And team play is gonna be critical for these because all of our patients are complicated. There's just nobody who's easy. But Morgan's an example of the hardest, but it's never obvious or simple. There's always multiple factors. Are there any other rules you wish you'd broken? Anything you would have done differently? I don't think so. I think I defied a lot of odds and broke a lot of rules already <laughs> in my journey, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> so that's not something that I stray away from. I just do that in my normal daily life, I guess, at this point. But I think that all of the decisions that we made, even when we were breaking the rules, they were very deeply discussed and thought through and all the ifs, ands, and buts about how this connects to something else. And so I think even when we were breaking the rules, it was very methodical of how we were breaking them. And a lot of those times that we were breaking those rules, it was like, okay, we're going to try this and see what happens. And so learning to kind of just like try something and see what happens. And a lot of those, let's try it and see what happens have turned out really great. So yeah, no, I think I broke just the perfect amount of rules. <laughs> but Morgan also follows instructions really carefully. 
So I don't want to imply it's just like, hey, we'll do whatever we feel like tomorrow. Like, you know, we made a plan and mm -hmm. it follows the plan. And I know she's going to follow the plan. But I think the other thing that I have to keep reminding myself is how intimidating taking care of a wound can be. Mm -hmm. you know, there is a fear factor that to wounds that I think is different than other kinds of medical problems. Maybe you could talk about just trying to overcome the fear factor of I got this hole in my body and I have to put stuff on it and the instructions are complicated. We, we forget about that as wound care experts. Yeah, for sure. I think, I know I've talked to you, Dr. Fife, about this before, but like, it's one thing to see a wound on someone else and treat it. It's another thing to treat a wound that's on your body. I think there's a lot of like emotional elements that go with that. And it's difficult to, I don't know, like treat yourself in a way. And also, yeah, like you were saying, the instructions are, can be complicated. Um, they're ever changing. Like you could do something the same way for five days and then it's like, mm, just kidding. Let's try something else. And so being able to adapt to that and know that like, just because we're trying something else doesn't mean it's getting worse. Um, so I think a lot of that element of the fear factor of treating a wound as the patient is a lot of the mental stuff. Like I can follow directions. I've got that down. <laughs> I can do that. But yeah, I think it's more of the mental battle of like, okay, I'm treating this and it's on my body and, you know, just being like, when is this going to end? Is this going to be a part of my daily routine? And kind of once you get into a routine, having to change it. So it's just kind of and all a, the supplies like, you need. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle and you want to be able to kind of compartmentalize like, okay, I'm doing wound care now. That doesn't mean I have to think about the wound all day. So kind of that battle, I feel like is the biggest struggle, if any. There's something I'm curious about. You are the only patient I've ever had in 30 plus years who was living in a sorority house. And I'm just curious, how, how did you interact with all these young people around you who would have no idea what it's like to be sick most of the time, unless they've had a cold and certainly no idea to have a wound. Did people see it? Did it freak them out? How, how did you feel like you were yeah. received? Yeah. So I think before when I had ulcerative colitis, it was more of like an invisible disability. So that was a different interaction because people, I didn't tell people. So like people had no idea and I was fine with that. Now being an amputee, like it's obviously very clear, can't miss it. Um, so I think people at the beginning were a little bit unsure about how to treat me. They, they thought that I was more fragile than I really am. And, you know, I had to have some interesting conversations with my friends about being like, Hey, I know that you're, you know, you're trying to be helpful and protect me and whatever, but I need you to push me. I, you know, I can walk into the football stadium. I need you to encourage me to do that. So those kinds of things I think were a big part of the journey. And I think living in the sorority house helped a lot because I kind of got, I had to learn how to advocate for my needs and myself very quickly because there's people around all the time versus like, if I was living on my own, that interaction might not have come as soon. And then in terms of my wound, I still think people don't really know <laughs> about it because you can't see it when I have my prosthetic on or anything. So mostly my close friends know about my wound and, you know, Dr. Fife, I named him pretty early on. His name's Greg. And, and then she named her wound is what she's saying, Brian. Yes, we refer, refer to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my friends know that his name is Greg and address him as Greg. They're like, oh, how's Greg doing? Whatever. 
so but they don't really like have any they don't see it I have a couple friends who are in you know going into nursing who are more interested to see photos and things and I'm happy to share that with them because I think it's a good kind of like educational thing for them going into their careers um but for the most part my friends don't really see or interact with Gregory my wound and I'm kind of fine with that I I like to compartmentalize it as well I like to deal with it when I deal with it and then go about my day as if I don't have one so I don't know. That's kind of how I approach it. Is there anything else you'd like listeners to know about your experience? How can we make things better? Where do we really fail? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's super important for physicians to treat patients like a human. The, the physicians that I were able to trust more and, you know, trust that they were making decisions in my best interest for the patients that or the physicians that I ended up building an actual like relationship with. So I have a physician, um, Dr. Hobday, who, when I was in the hospital would come have dinner with me. And with that, I gained a lot of trust um, in that relationship. And I knew that he was advocating for me and making decisions that were aligned with my goals because he had listened to my goals. He had heard what I wanted to accomplish. He knew what was on my agenda for life. And so I think just, you know, maybe you don't need to know everything about them, but know what their goals are and help them like help make decisions that help them reach that. And, you know, even explaining like, okay, we're going to do this because, you know, we want to allow you to be able to swim. Like that's been a big thing for me. Yeah, I want to be in the pool. And so Dr. Fife, um, a great example, is like, okay, we're going to try this treatment so we can get you into that pool. And we'll kind try of this writing. waterproof dressing. And like, we're not going to just say you can't do something because exactly. Yeah. 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 So just like, I don't know, explaining kind of the treatments and creative ideas that come along that align with the, the patient's goals. Um, I think just creates a better environment of trust. I think physicians sometimes just get wrapped up in the, you know, scientific case study stats of it all but they have to remember like if that was their daughter on the other side, um, how would they want them to be treated? You know, there were times we modified the plan because she had a football game to go to, or there were times we thought about, you know, maybe she shouldn't walk for a while because maybe that is contributing. And nah, you know, it's just not worth it. If there's a really special event to say, you know, you just need to be in your wheelchair. You know, we decided that the calendar didn't matter, which I think also helps. Yeah, for sure. There's something that we haven't ever talked about, Morgan, that might, I've been wondering how many patients deal with this and they don't tell me, but you were very open about the PTSD you had from the ICU. Yes. And I remember one day in particular, we used negative pressure for a while and Mm -hmm. you confessed that one of your triggers was seeing tubing Mm -hmm. and you you did so well. I mean, I, Brian, just picture this, Morgan's got a negative pressure device in a backpack and she's walking around on an AK prosthetic while she has negative pressure that's underneath her prosthetic. <laughs> so she's got to carry that around with her. Totally fine. The issue was that seeing the tubing would trigger feelings. Those are, uh, that was not something that I had discussed with anybody, but I feel confident that I have a lot of patients with various levels of PTSD and it's never or been part of the conversation about why they have certain dis- difficulties in coming in for treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
The PTSD element is something that is an ongoing thing. Very quickly, when I was in the hospital, we knew I needed a lot of therapy on that sense. And so we started working on that pretty early. And some of the triggers are very clear, like tubing, very, that's an easily identifiable trigger. Beeping is a really big one. Anything that beeps, um, which is difficult to live in normal society where there's trucks and microwaves and things that beep. So a lot of that work is around those triggers that are, that we've been able to identify. And I do EMDR therapy um, to work through that. And it's been pretty successful for some of those ones that we can identify very easily. However, with PTSD and something that I don't think I really knew is that you can be fine for a while and then something can trigger you and you're kind of back down in that spiral. And so that's kind of where we are. Even at this point, I was doing really well for a while and I don't know, still don't know what it was that triggered me, but kind of back into that PTSD space with flashbacks about different elements from different medical experiences. And so while it can be kind of discouraging to have to like rework through things, I think it's important for patients and physicians to realize like, this is a very common thing, whether people know that they have it or not. I just happened to know because I thought started that therapy very early on in my journey. Um, But there might not be people or patients who have that kind of access to the therapy element. And so they might not even know. And so for me, it's a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of difficult conversations and working through those things that's still ongoing, even three years down the line. And I don't know, it's, it's, my therapist has made it pretty clear that for patients with PTSD, especially in the medical space, like your, your trauma is stored in your spine. So even the smallest thing, or like someone could bump me weird and that could cause that trauma in your spine to kind of unravel. And so it's kind of an ongoing process that we're, you know, still working through and that's fine. Yeah. I, I really had missed that before and I've been more sensitive to it because Morgan felt comfortable to say, look, I need to not see this tubing, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the tubing of all the things people struggle with about negative pressure. You know, it never crossed my mind that that tubing was it's just one example of the, just kind of having a broader understanding of the patient experience. You know, Morgan, my, my dear dad did World War II in Korea. Mm-hmm. And the thing that would, to the, he was 90 years old and it would freak him out if somebody cracked chewing gum because it sounded mm-hmm. like a stick breaking in the jungle. So these things that seem trivial to the rest of us, uh, you know, somebody who cracked gum behind him could send him shooting out of a chair when he was 90 years old. I think that's a dialogue that can be really helpful and just good to have in the back of our mind. Sometimes when people have patients seem to have overreaction to something, there's a story behind that. Mm -hmm, For sure. There was also a time that you weren't ready to look at your wound. (laughs) And that's okay. I feel like that's totally okay that we ought to give people permission to say, you know what, you can close your eyes, we can put a sheet up, you don't have to look at this until you're ready. And there has to someday be that level of acceptance if it's going to be a long term thing, but I don't think we ought to force patients to, to do things before they're quite ready. Yeah, I think speaking to that a little bit more, I think if I had been pushed to look at the wound before I was ready. That would have caused more trauma that I would now be having to work through and also potentially be a hurdle that wouldn't have allowed me to go back to college and treat my own wound. And so I think 
again, looking at that bigger picture of like, what does the patient want to accomplish? Like I wanted to go back to college. So if I had had so much trauma from looking at the wound to where I couldn't take care of it myself, I wouldn't have been able to go back. And so just kind of piecing those elements together that align with the patient's goals and giving them time to get there and helping them kind of work through like, okay, maybe just look for two seconds. And then that's all you have to do for the week. Like, I don't know, just those little things a part of that are a part of the patient physician experience, I think are what really add up. There's so much to think about. Yeah. And, you know, as physicians, we get so like, it's just Tuesday for us. Yeah. And it's hard to keep remembering that if this is not something you've ever experienced, it can be completely terrifying. Yeah. So I want to thank both of you for being here today, Morgan and Dr. Fife. I think this was a great discussion and patients and physicians will really find it valuable. And I want to thank everyone for listening to today's Wound Clinic and check out the extra TWC podcasts on SoundCloud. And Morgan's editorial, Brian, she's written for TWC before. So I think people will really enjoy going back to look at some of her previous articles. And Morgan, thank you for being an inspiration and just helping me remember why I do this. Um, It's it's a good therapy for me too. Yeah, thank y'all for letting me share my story, my perspective. I appreciate it.